Hey, well, thank you all for joining us here on Plant Profits. I'm your host, Vern Davis. Plant Profits is brought to you by Protus Global. And again, we got an exciting uh, time for you today. My guest today is Mitch Barukowitz, and he's the co-founder and managing partner of Merida Capital Holdings. And Merida Capital Holdings, if you're in this industry, you know Merida Capital Holdings. They're everywhere. They're all into the cannabis space and some brands that we'll discuss here uh, some. But uh, Mitch, how are you? Thanks for being here. I'm great, Vern. Thanks for having me. Uh, love the show. L- listen to the last 10 or 15 podcasts. And uh, for anyone who hasn't checked us out before, don't don't just start with like the highlight of, of Vern's month or, or two with me, but you know, <laughs> get out there and listen to these. these oh, absolutely. Thank you. Thank you for that. We, we, we work hard and it's, it's bringing folks like you to the public, which is, is awesome and just a hell of a lot of fun, man. Yeah. So look, um, you uh, have been in this industry a long time, but I, I really want people to know you just a little bit before we dive into Merida and a lot of the other things that you've done. Are, are you a Bostonian? Are you? No. Uh, okay. I went Go to ahead. Brandeis and BU Law. So right. I, I, if anything, it was uh, one of those interesting relationships because you go to school in Boston. I yeah. found the one store that sells the New York Post. And uh, so I could keep up with my sports. Remember, this is before the internet. You know, yeah. Kind of. But um, so being a Met, Jet, Nick and Islander fan, I wasn't as wow. hated from Bostonians as the Yankee fan. Yes. So, but they, but 1986 came up in every conversation with the Mets. So. Oh, I bet. Yeah. Oh, I, I absolutely bet. And the Jets, you had no problem. No, no one has a problem with the Jets. <laughs> <laughs> Unfortunately, that is the case. But they're on the up, right? They're on the yeah, up. Yeah, no, I think they're on the way up. My brother said to me, we, we both yeah. have um, – he has a, a, a 12 year old. I have an 11 year old. And, and we said, okay. Man, we really, we did our kids hard right there by making them Jeff fans. So, so is that, is, is, is that a sentence passed down for generations? I, I think amongst Jeff fans, it must be. Um, <laughs> but you know, so us native New Yorkers, we yeah. we're from Queens originally. We, we're, we're pretty hard people. You have to be to, to like teams we like. So yeah, no, you, you have to have tough skin. That'd be pretty tough to be in the uh, cannabis industry too. Yeah, well, it's, it's good I, practice. I think Very the Jets could be a pre-qualification to the cannabis space, man. No, yeah. you're 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 absolutely right. So you went BU Law, got out of school, and you did the the legal thing, right? Corporate counsel, general counsel. Well, actually, I did. Uh, I was very involved in electronic trading and algorithmic okay. trading, and okay, um, and that kind of was that, that kind of indirectly led to me getting in the industry. Really? So, yeah. No. I, well, one of our partners, my brother and I, ran a business with a third partner. Okay. The third partner was injured um, and paralyzed, and had moved out to Colorado in 07 or 08 to okay. um, establish residency because you were required to own. Or to be an owner of a cannabis business, you had to be a resident for two years. And so in I, at that time, I was the general counsel of a, a fairly mm-hmm. large financial firm. Okay. Um, I done, yeah, I had done the counsel route though. You got that right. I mean, that's the part yeah. that's in my bio. So yeah. um I was a counsel at a, a very large uh public company and then moved to a, a pretty big financial firm and and was doing the legal thing and helping him with his legal work and kind of you know dotting the I's and crossing the T's and it was unreal that back then in Colorado, one of the m- main financial structures for 
I guess you would say routing cash eventually to the eventual holder of that equity went through 10 entities. And I was just so uncomfortable with it that wow. I really started to dig in. Yeah. And um, by 09 and 2010, I, you know, I kind of knew a lot about out. the cannabis industry. Yeah. I knew, <laughs> I knew what was going on out there. And also there was a, everyone talks about the coal memo being the thing that changed the industry, but really there was a memo before that, that, that changed um, the fact that the federal government wasn't going to pursue uh, anyone that was a legal medical patient within the state's uh, boundaries. And so that in Colorado led to massive patient adoption. And I'm watching, you know, 6,000 patients become a couple hundred thousand. And that, that to me said, this is going to be a real industry and we're going to figure out a way to, to do this in a big way. And, and luckily enough, uh, Connecticut and some of the East coast states started to change their laws. And I'm, I'm a, right on the border of Connecticut, New York. And yeah. I said to my, my Colorado group, Hey, if you can bring the, the talent to, to grow, I know how to write, you know, a public sort of document. And, you know, nine months later, a million dollars on an application, which no one had ever heard of before. <laughs> we were uh, one of the four legal growers in Connecticut by law. And yeah, that, that's a that's why did you choose, though? The, the, the part that I missed there is why yeah. you actually chose cannabis. Right. Well, I mean, yeah, uh, for me, it was a pretty easy decision. Number one. Okay. I always believed in, I never had a problem with it. Law right. school, college, never, you know, we were all kind of consumers. Sure. Um, and, and one thing that, that always kind of, when I started to see the legal industry in, in 06 and 07, starting to really change in California and in Colorado, you could see a more sophistication coming in. Mm-hmm. And, and it, it really, I understood the basic dynamics of consumption. Everyone consumes essentially, mm-hmm. you know, in, in, mm-hmm. in the friend groups in New York that I was rolling in. And then you could start to see this infrastructure around, you know, supply chain and things, just, just really the inklings of it. Sure. And, and, and the sophistication of the grows that I saw in Colorado when I was out there told me that, it, that if you put the right uh, guardrails around this, this was going to be a massive industry because we already knew where the consumption was. Yeah. Which is so interesting, you know, 12 years later, um, a lot of my thesis is built around this transition of consumption from the illegal market to the legal market. So it, it hasn't changed much. I guess I, I it was the right place and right time. I had an open yeah. mind about it. Um, yeah. And I just think that to me, it seemed like a very obvious thing. And I guess uh, with most good ideas, they are obvious looking back. But even mm-hmm. at that time, the way me and my friends would discuss it and the way me and my business partners would discuss it was, this is obvious. We know where consumption is coming. Wow. And, and in fact, I'm writing something right now, a little that goes back to Meredith's origin story that really talks about how that early experience really shaped the way we invest. Mm-hmm. That, that understanding of the normalization and how it falls in different asymmetric ways across our, our medical and consumption and package goods and packaging mm-hmm. and all the supply chain and how our early experience really shapes that by, by watching it develop, you really do get a sense of how regulations are going to develop. You get a sense of what, what demographics matter. Mm -hmm. And, you know, that's been really successful for us. And I'm lucky to have that. I guess I was lucky to have friends that had been out in Colorado and I had the right team to to partner with and I'm good at writing an application and uh, (laughs) a 2000 page application. And I'm good at spending other people's money, I guess. And, (laughs) <laughs> you know, a million dollars for an application alone seemed crazy at the time. But after, you know, that company was recently sold for more than a hundred million dollars to a, right. a 
public company. So it didn't seem that crazy. And we've done that. I don't know. I think between Merida and my early um, beginnings, I think I now have seven or eight companies that I founded that have been exited at more than hundred million in the cannabis space. Well, so. uh, congratulations. But what that comes back to is you had, you could see clearly early that this was a consumer industry and, <clears throat> you know, it, what's really cool about it to how you stated, Mitch, is that you knew, you guys figured out where the consumption was coming from. You knew where the customers come coming from. And that is, is converting plus new customers, right? But converting uh, illegal to legal. So that's a journey that, is that, is that working? I mean, is that, is that, because I, I get mixed I get mixed facts. I'll call them mixed facts about is, is the transition actually happening yeah. or are both entities just growing? Yeah. Well, you know, that's, it's, it's such a great question because it, and, and it's not easy to answer. I mean, the, right. the, the data is the data and, and obviously Merida is a huge investor in several data, data companies. Yeah, absolutely. We have a lot of, you know, just last week I was on the, even though they're not a portfolio company, I, I was talking to the CEO of another data company that we're not an investor in just you know, shooting the breeze about certain things and, and just talking data, because that's what I really love to do. Right. And, you know, the data is very clear. So I'm going to answer your question first on just the numbers. Okay. And then I'll talk about what you were sort of alluding to, which is the feeling. Yeah. And we'll get to the feeling okay. in a second, because All in right. cannabis, a lot of people do go by feel, but the data is the data. Well, and you know so what? Data, let's yeah. let's take a quick break. Sure. And come back. And I, I want I want to make that top of the break because I, I think that's a very important discussion uh, we should be uh, having. So thank you all for joining us here. We're going to take a quick break. Uh, I'm Vern Davis. I'm the host of Plant Profits. And uh, my guest today is Mitch Barukowitz, and he is the co-founder and managing partner of Merida Capital Holdings. We'll be right back. Thank you. Okay. I think that's a great place for us to kick right. off in that segment. That's yeah. my, I mean, you're, you're getting into my sweet spot. That's yeah. uh, like, you, you know, you, you've had a lot of, a lot of guests. I, I would, mm -hmm. I would, I would guess I'm deeper on the data than almost anyone in the investments. Well, you, you understand it and you understand why I'm living it. Yeah. Yeah. Why it's important uh, to make this legal cannabis industry. We got to have real data. People oh, yeah. want to, I mean, if, <clears throat> You got to have the real data to understand the business to to actually improve the business or to even yes. know when the business is not working. So it's it's critically important what what we're about to talk about. Yeah. Okay. Plant profits will return so our sponsors can profit from these messages. Hey, welcome back, everyone. This is Vern Davis. I'm your host of Plant Profits. Thank you for joining us here today. My guest today is Mitch Barukowitz, and he's the founder and managing partner of Merida Capital Holdings. And right before the break, we start talking about something that, that Mitch and I are very, very interested in. It's the data of the business of cannabis. And Mitch, let's just pick it up right there, is what the data is telling us about the transition from illegal, illicit to legal uh, consumers of the business, et cetera. Let's, let's start there. Yeah. So, well, first, let me give a quick plug. We, we've okay. written extensively on not just this transition, but also how corona, the coronavirus and, and the reaction okay. to the coronavirus was, really has helped accelerate that transition. So, you know, it, it, we talked about cannibalization 
of the illegal market by the legal market. And so we, mm-hmm. we use Hannibal Lecter as, as the symbol of that, you know, <laughs> the ultimate cannibal. But, yeah. you know, so if anyone wants to read that, you can you can get that. It's on our Twitter feed. We've linked to it before, and I'm happy to do that for you again, Vern. We'll, we'll, That'd be great. we'll link to it. But, yeah. you know, here's what the data is telling us. First and foremost, 2020 was the first year that the legal market grew uh, more on a gross basis than the illegal market. So mm-hmm. we, we, we now know that if total consumption grew three to 4%, so let's say the 90 billion became 94, we know that of that 4 billion of new consumption, the legal market got more than 50% of that growth. Okay. And that's the first time that's ever happened. So total consumption has been growing for, for years, not on a, on a grand basis, but on a two to three, 4%, but all that's been growing in the illegal market, obviously, because there was no legal market. Okay. So let's stop right there. I yeah. want this for our audience to clearly understand. You're talking specific numbers right. about an industry that is trying to become very specific and accurate um, with the side of the business that, you know, consumers think who knows how big the, the illicit illegal market is. So how how do you, how can you bring that comparison to bear and to and and to to be able to say it as uh, clearly as you have with as much confidence as you have? Well, I mean, first and foremost, we, we own uh, a very <clears throat> big piece of New Frontier data, which is, in my opinion, the the real voice of the econometric data. There's other data companies that do kind of point of sale data, but when it comes to econometrics, so I once asked them about the methodology yeah. that underpins uh, how they judge the size of the illicit market. Right. And, and the way that they did that, they showed me uh, about 50 inputs. And one of the main inputs is it's arrest rates, it's uh, the arrest for possessions. It's actually the, the law enforcement component. And okay. then they go back and look at acreage under growth and, and, or, or acreage that's being used based on busts, right? You assume that three to 4% of the market, there's all regressions in data and to get to good data. But essentially what they determined is the, the illicit market is anywhere from 90 to 110 billion, uh, or I'm sorry, the total market in the United mm-hmm. States is 90 to 110 billion. And of that 90 to 110 billion, you know, last year, I think it was 23 to 25 billion of legal consumption. So you're talking about a four to one, a three to one, three and a half to one, somewhere in that range, more illicit consumption than legal consumption right now. Okay. So So, as, as time grows and moves forward and the, the, we, we can measure the legal consumption as that goes, how do you actually know the size of the pie? Well, that that's, I think the, the most interesting thing, I think as the legal market uh, grows, you get more certainty with respect to data. And so you can regress back, you know, using, mm-hmm. you, you're using uh, to go not too deep into math, although my mom as a math teacher would be very proud. You can regress your way into a, a confidence factor, right? And that, that confidence factor is built on how much you know, based and, and how much you don't know. So I think, yeah. I think it's fair to say at this point, New Frontier, after 10 or 15 years of, of looking at the data, John Kagia, there. The, the chief uh, data officer is, is mm. incredible at him and his team just do incredible work. And I think they have determined to a fair high confidence, let's call it 95% confidence that the, that the legal market is about one, you know, one fourth of the total market. Mm-hmm. And, and what we'll, we'll find out in the next couple of years is, is truly how big that is. And I do think okay. one of the things that's going to skew that data a little bit is that new consumption is growing. We've had a bump in new consumption based mm-hmm. largely on whether it's medical, you know, the self-medication of people yeah. who don't necessarily want to get medical cards 
or be in a registry, but do want cannabis as a, uh, as some type of ameliorant to their own medical issues, whether it's pain or, or, you know, mood disorders, which mood disorder shockingly is actually the highest reason self-reported by people who get medical cards. So I thought it would be pain, but it's actually 35% of the people who get medical cards are doing it for mood mood disorders. Like Mm. it could be depression. It could be PTSD, anything that falls in that, you know, the, the, Mm -hmm. the DSM of mood disorders and then pain is a close second. And then sleep is, is a distant third. Yeah. No. Okay. Okay. Well, as it gets more accepted, you get more medical use, more medical use means more. Those are new consumers who have not consumed cannabis previously. So that's, that's a big bump now. Yeah. And, and, you know, what you just gave us, Mitch is hope, right. From the hope of perspective that, that the data, as we go forward, the data just gets more accurate. Right. Yeah. That that's the mission. And, 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 and as, as we get our arms around that, I think that's, that's important. That's important for investors. That's important for people who are running the businesses or participating in the business. That's, a, that's important for people to, to, who want to consider to get in that industry, right? And, and not being, it's, it's extremely important that the data bears out the facts. Right? Yeah. And I think that's, that's, that's a crucial thing that you just said, because I, I, mm-hmm. especially at a time like now, when you have this really sequential decline across cannabis companies as, as in our opinion, it's largely driven by just the fatigue that people have around regulatory changes that have been mm-hmm. sort of on the horizon and, and also the headwinds. If you can invest in risky assets and those risky assets aren't federally illegal or otherwise, people tend to skew towards the lowest boundaries of legality uh, you know, and, and in the cannabis industry, legality is still a huge hindrance to anyone who wants to fund or uh, custodial stocks. Or There's so many different friction points that really hold investors back from the industry. But the data is the data. And, and the reality is that cannabis as a legal market, because of that transition, is going to grow at a faster compound annual growth rate, which, you know, someone who's trying to impress someone at a party would say Kager. That Kager is faster than almost any industry in in recorded history. You know, the industrial revolutions Kager, and let's talk, that's the adoption of like steam piston engines. Right. It was only about 12% a year. Cannabis is going to grow at a 23 to 25% clip. Color TV, radio. I mean, you're talking about Kagers of 10, maybe nine. Yeah. If you get into double digits, the internet was at 13. Cannabis is 25%. Wow. I mean, that's a wow. That's a wow. That, that, that is an absolute wow. Now, let's look at, at Merida, right? You're a leading investor in public companies like Cushco, Grow Generations, Freedom, you know, and, and then all the data companies that, that you have, uh, like New Frontier. I mean, you, you've done that. So you, your, your philosophy is kind of goes back to the first thing we talked about in this conversation, when, and that was what your initial vision has kind of driven you. So you're in plant touching, you're in non-plant touching, you're in analytics, you're in, you're in things that can go public on the NASDAQ here and the things that can't. And, and yeah, Leafly, I mean, we're, you know, Leafly. Yeah. I mean, I I would say if I could distill our thesis down to a, a pithy quote, what we're doing is we are taking um, a very, aggressive, intellectually rigorous approach to consuming information and data. Mm-hmm. And then we're using that information and data to, to ping 
every different vertical of the cannabis industry. And what we're really looking for is we're looking for places that we believe are either underappreciated mm-hmm. or misunderstood where that asymmetric growth is going to be in a more obvious fashion. So it's like loading up a shotgun full of birdshot, walking one inch from a target and blasting away with confidence because we feel like we've done the work to understand where that growth is going to come disproportionately. So if everything's growing at five, 10, 15, whatever percent, we want to look for places where it's going 80, 90. And so when it, whether it's Leafly or New Frontier or Media Gel, right. uh, whether it's the, the genetics companies we invest in, we're looking for what we, we call the, the broad umbrella of our thesis normalization. And so we're looking for where that normalization is going to land in a much mm-hmm. more certain fashion. And then we, aggress- we aggressively invest using the information and data that we have and that we've gathered from our 70 plus portfolio companies. I love that. Normalization uh, is a driver for you or the ability to be able to see where it becomes normalized in, in the community. I, I love that. We're going to take a quick break and we'll be right back. And we're going to talk more about how Merida is making choices about their investments. Uh, look forward to that. I'm Vern Davis. I'm your host of Plant Profits. My guest today is Mitch Bar- Barukowitz, <clears throat> excuse me, guys, co-founder and managing partner of Merida Capital Holdings. We'll be right back. Plant Profits will return so our sponsors can profit from these messages. Hey, welcome back, everyone, to Plant Profits. I am your host, Vern Davis. Plant Profits is brought to you by Protus Global. My guest today on Plant Profits is Mitch Barukowitz, who is the co-founder and the managing partner at Merida Capital Holdings. And we're just discussing on what's important to Merida about how they're building and their investment portfolio of, of in the cannabis industry. And you know, Mitch, um, so that makes sense. The normalization, the ability to see the normalization of the of the the um, investment uh, into the community. So let's let's talk about the other things. So you're buying a company or investing in a company. You're buying a company, whatever the piece of it is, right. and you're investing in that company. What are some of the other things you look for besides that? that makes you think that this is an attractive place to put our money and our investors' money? You know, so there's, 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 that's such an open-ended question that I can go a million directions and anyone who's ever listened to me, (laughs) yeah, I I could, I could waste the whole rest of the segment, but (laughs) I'm going to try to cut it down to, so there's a few things we look for. Number one, like I said, we're looking for areas first, areas of the industry. Right. Then Then we work backwards to find companies and that's where having this huge ecosystem of companies that we can bank on and, and talk to every day really shows us. But one of the things we really care about a lot is we look for people with the right mindset. Mm-hmm. We look for people who skew towards positivity because especially in a time like this where it's difficult, yeah. it's very important that you that you have someone who wakes up every morning and is kind of joyful in their approach to the challenges that they're going to, to tackle. And mm-hmm. especially in cannabis, which has that illegality. And, and the industry was really plagued early on by a lot of people who were the best at everything and didn't mm-hmm. want to listen, didn't want to take feedback. And I think what we look for people who are, are very open-minded about their businesses and, and want feedback and also want to grow and be part of a bigger ecosystem so that they can lower their own barriers. Because the biggest hindrance in cannabis is friction. 
It's because mm-hmm. of the illegality, it's because of the stigma, it's because of the historical illegality. All of those things come together to create friction. Yeah. And so Merida's role in investing is to look for companies that can really thrive when that friction is removed. So we're looking for companies that, that have something is holding them back or something is maybe not holding them back, but they could be better with more of a, of a real shove behind their back. So we're not just buying into companies, we're really helping build them. And so we're looking for builders, builders who we can work with, builders who we can have faith in. You know, obviously you're looking for integrity and honesty, yeah. transparency. But what one thing I'll, I'll tell you in our process that we often do is the first meeting that we have with a company, you know, we may have like an analyst talk to someone, but then I, when, when I'm usually face-to-face with the company, I care about a few things. Number one, okay. I, I want to know their temperament. So I'm usually going to develop with the team a set of five, six, seven, however many questions that I would consider extremely difficult to answer, maybe mm-hmm. even uncomfortable. And so we want to see how these companies, you know, what is their reaction to questions that we know in some way they can't answer very easily. Mm-hmm. And, you know, sometimes the CEO will say, you know, you're probably not the right investor for us if you're asking these questions. And we're, we say, thank you for actually pointing it out because that's better to know now than, you know, a quick no is better than a, a long halting. Wow. You know, Expensive. You know, Expensive, yes. yes. And, and, and you know what? Because of that process, we've actually weeded out, you know, to use horrible puns that the industry kind of spits out. Yeah. But we've weeded out a lot of companies. There have been a lot of disasters that we have averted just simply by having our process be be so rigorous. You know, right? I love and, that, that you have a system and how you go about this. What have you noticed that's in common with the successful cannabis companies in the talent that they have? What's in common with the people? One thing certainly is the ability to be self-aware about challenges and, mm-hmm. and opportunities. We have had, especially, and we're getting this in rapid fashion right now as, as you have this lack mm-hmm. of capital, all the way going back to 2019 when there was a capital crunch mm-hmm. uh, before COVID. If you remember, the vape crisis kind of froze things for oh, uh, yeah. six months of going into COVID. So this isn't the first time we've seen something like this. This, this feels worse because this is the first time that the economy itself mm-hmm. also is having some cracks in the foundation. So this isn't, the, this isn't just a cannabis thing. Mm-hmm. This is a cannabis plus you know, a broader economy. But right. one thing that we see with, with the, the successful companies is their CEOs have been very proactive about looking at ways to preserve whatever uh, momentum they have, mm-hmm. to preserve capital, to be smart, you know, good companies are somewhat cutthroat mm-hmm. about the, how they look at themselves. Mm-hmm. And they say, you know, this isn't working. And th- I think the self-aware companies and the successful companies tend to be more proactive so that we're not the ones saying, hey, you should probably bring down your numbers or, or remodel. Let's look at some more friction across your, it's going to be harder. You're spending less marketing dollars now. So it's going to, you're going to have a, a little hard time adopting, you know, new consumers mm-hmm. or, and I think, you know, right. a good example of that is Leafly, when you look at how we took them public and how they run their business and their adoption, everyone knows what Leafly is. Everyone knows they're basically them and Weedmaps are the two top of funnel companies. That's where you begin your cannabis experience if you Google something. Right. And, and so what Leafly does with their, inf- what, what they do with that information and how they're so proactive in trying to be a good company and a good steward of the people who trust them. It is for us uh, a reward. And there's, you know, I could bring up an example of 30. No, that, I mean, I think that's, that's what I'm, I'm looking for. Have yeah. you found an industry where you are finding that talent that works 
that get it, uh, uh, that can make the transition from their industry and jump over that hurdle to cannabis and succeed. Wow. Yeah, I think, uh, well, the one thing we've done at Merida just internally is we've always looked for very, you know, we, I gave, this is an interview, so I'm just going to repeat what I said, you know, maybe two years ago in an interview, which was, we look for happy warriors. We look for mm-hmm. people who want to want to fight, you know what I mean? The metaphorical fight, who mm-hmm. want to fight, who want to be challenged, who want to, you know, so I think of industries where you have a lot of discourse, mm-hmm. respectful discourse, but very tough discourse. So usually people who like we've, we've been very successful in bringing people from finance who work in diligence and other areas, because you can learn cannabis over time. Mm-hmm. I can teach you the idiosyncrasies of medical markets and, and, you know, what I've learned over time. But I right. can't teach you to be an intellectually rigorous thinker who can mm-hmm. also handle being challenged. That 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 is a temperament thing. That is a naturally talented mm-hmm. individual who can handle that because you have to be able to to question your own assumptions. So we look for when we cross over. I think some people in tech. The one thing I don't mm-hmm. look for, um, I don't look for resumes. When someone comes yeah. over and says, "I was the eighth employee at blah blah blah, and it got sold, yeah. and now I'm ready to go." I, I often ask those people, how much support staff did you have in doing your job? Oh, you had 30 people. You're not going to have that in cannabis. So, right. you know, you're, you're it, so you have to make sure you're getting people that understand the grittiness and, and, and mm-hmm. so that you need to succeed in cannabis because you have to be willing to face challenges that you're not going to challenge in other businesses. Mm-hmm. It is federally illegal still to this day. Yeah. That's a challenge that I don't think any other industry really can replicate. Yeah. Well, so, yeah, I mean, you bring up some things that are very, very dear and important to me is that, um, you know, we're working in a nationally, federally illegal industry that is being decided state by state how they want to operate in this illicit environment that that's created on a national basis. And now we're we have that scenario. So, you know, <clears throat> in my business where I'm identifying talent and bringing talent to, to my clients, it, it really is important that people understand, right, that they come from places where things are not perfect. They come from places where they, they you know, maybe the industry is highly regulated mm-hmm. and, and they, they know how to build brands in a highly regulated environment where some of the channels of communication with your end consumer are different or not there. Yeah. And and I just see the the that brand you have so much. I mean, you're doing a great job of of, of putting forth the analytics, the, the companies you've invested in and, and the way you talk about analytics all the time, yeah. uh, Mitch. But how we're gonna get brands because yeah, you know, in consumer industries, people buy the values created through the brands that are created through the system. Yeah. Yeah. I've looked at this so deeply and, yeah. and I've written on it and I've, yeah. I've lived it. And yeah. my poor 17 year old has to hear my random thoughts. And it's sort of my business partners, who's ever yeah. around that minute yeah. is going to hear some random thoughts as they, as they're coming. Cause you're reading things. And so here's, yeah. here's what I think the is going to happen. If, if I had a, if okay. I had a crystal ball, I think yeah. that volume brings brands. And so uh-huh. one of the things I've noticed in people who come from traditional consumer packaged goods, one of the failings, I think that they, or let's mm-hmm. say the challenges that they have in, in learning more about cannabis is loyalty at the consumer level is, is challenging because a lot of these people were used to illicit cannabis right. and illicit cannabis. You bought whatever you could get. Mm-hmm. And then you walk into a dispensary now and you have a hundred different choices, which is really a newish, not new, 
but mm-hmm. a new wish experience for people. And so the consumer packaged goods people think, well, if I have this or that, okay, that works in a supermarket. Yeah. But that's because that's your that's that's that person is seeing that brand and they want to buy peanut butter and there's four peanut butters. And you know, there's great books you can read about the tyranny of choices and how too much choice is a bad thing. Cannabis, too much choice is a great thing because these people are coming, the, the consumer is coming from a place where there was almost no choice. There was whatever you get. If it was, you know, if it was a brick that came from Mexico that looked like a frisbee. Yeah. You smoked it. If it was great cannabis that came from Canada, you smoked it. Whatever the dealer had, you smoked it, right? right? And now you have the choice to look at labeled products that are safe, that have been a highly regulated, higher, much higher regulation than any other industry. But most importantly, with the volume, that transition. And so you're looking now what's happening in the industry is heavy consumers from the illicit market are coming into the legal market. And those consumers spend more of their their dollars, you know, on this product. And that volume is going to lead to decisions at the, at the, at the counter, at the, you know, the bud tender level mm-hmm. and those bud tenders, then you get feedback, then you get different strains. That's why we're investing in genetics companies. That's why we're investing right. in the supply chain, because ultimately we don't know who the winners of the brands will be, but with that volume, there will be brands. Mm-hmm. I'd rather invest in the arms merchant who's going to arm all the brands with mm-hmm. with the with the weapons they need to go to war at the shelves. You're going to find slotting fees in the future. Oh yeah. Find, you know, all it's those gonna things be normalized. Your word normalized. Normalized. Yeah. You will see it, yeah. but it's going to take the volume in the legal market. When the legal market mm-hmm. gets to 30 or 40 billion, it's going to be like a paradigm shift. And I think most people think, "Oh, it's it we it requires federal legality." Federal legality is coming in some form. Yeah. It's coming in some form, but before that, if the volume comes, you will see, you will start to see a more normalized consumer producer relationship that you just don't have in cannabis right this second. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. No, I, I think that's important that you said some very, very uh, important things. I, I want to get, and I've been waiting to ask you this, man, Okay, is that I want to get predictions from you. Okay. Okay. And I'm going to go short term because- Progress is made, you know, minute by minute, right? Okay. Or failures are created at the same rate. So 2023, 18 months. Yes. The end of 2023. Okay. Give me some predictions. And then I'm gonna bring you back and we're gonna recap these okay. now. So okay. So you're gonna be accountable, Mitch. Yeah. Well, I mean, you give know. me some predictions about the industry. Okay. Well, nothing, okay. nothing focuses the mind like a gun to the head burn. So uh <laughs> let's see. Well, here's my prediction for 2023 as a a year. Mm -hmm. I think given that New York has now changed the definition of prescription drug to include cannabis, I think the medical side is going to grow rapidly and you're going to start to see adoption at the state level of insurance Uh companies looking for a cost benefit analysis. So there will be the medical vertical is going to be well established by the end of 23. Okay. That's number one. Number two, it's, I think that you will find a descheduling, uh, 23, I don't even think it's going to happen. 23, my, I've been calling it the LDADs, the, uh, the, um, which is the, uh, the lame duck after dem shellacking, which is when you get a legal change. So the LDADs okay. change, I think going into 23, we're going to have a change at the federal level in some form, whether it's a descheduling, a loosening okay. in some way, 280E, safe banking, something big that pushes cannabis forward is going to happen even before 23, in my opinion. 
So, so you think this year, hold on, hold on. Yeah, yeah. 2022, you think there's going to be one of these I think things. the lame duck after the Deb Shellacking. That's, yeah. that's why, <laughs> you know, I even have an acronym for it. But, you know, you want bold predictions. You don't want easy predictions. No, no, right? baby. I want, I want so, bring it. Yeah. Bring it. So then, bring it, then the other thing I predict is because yeah. of that is I think the capital that flows into cannabis in the industry, uh, in the cannabis industry in 23 will be north of $5 billion. And, you know, 4.4 billion flowed in in 21, which was the biggest year of flow. Mm-hmm. And by flow, I mean, infrastructure, investment, flow to funds, whatever you want to call it. Uh-huh. I think I think we will be north of 5 billion in 23 of, of total inflow, mm-hmm. which will obviously drive stocks up, which will change mm-hmm. valuations. But I'm not saying I'm, I'm, I'm mad about what's happening now in valuations when I go to invest, but uh, I do think 23 is going to be a lot yeah, more high amplitude. And yeah. then I'll make one last prediction that I think is off anyone's radar, okay. which is um, by the end of 23, a not jazz pharma and epidiolex, but I'm talking about traditional pharma. You will see a traditional pharmaceutical company uh, announce something significant with respect to a drug, a cannabis-based drug or something else that is going to hit the market. That is my prediction by the end of 23. Wow. Wow. Medical vertical will grow dynamically. Yeah. Uh, it's becoming more normalized. Absolutely. Uh, right. Change of the, it, there'll be a change in the Fed, either Definitely. some kind of movement, 280 banking, something. Um, there being huge capital uh, flow, huge, huge capital, capital flow, flow. Huge. Oh, oh, north of 5 billion. Yes. Okay. And then traditional form, some traditional form of company, will make some significant announcement about a tie to cannabis. Absolutely. That's the, that's, that's the one I think no one, that, that's not on anyone's bingo card right now. I like that one. I like that one. Man, I tell you what, I got to have you back. This, was, this went way too fast. Whenever you want. Okay. I love the chat. I love the chat. Man, I tell you, my name is Vern Davis. I'm your host of Plant Profits. My guest today, so exciting, Mitch Marukowitz, who is the co-founder and managing partner of Merida Capital Holdings. I want to thank you all for joining us here on Plant Profits. And Plant Profits is brought to you by Protus Global. And you can look for all our past episodes, north of 150 episodes, starting with CannabisRadio.com, our partner in this adventure, which has been great. And make sure to give us a five-star rating. We like those. Everybody likes five stars. And a positive review on the Apple Podcasts or Spotify. Subscribe on those and others wherever you get your podcast fix. Find us at on Plant Profits. Follow Protus Global, my company, through our social footprint on LinkedIn, Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. And we're on all of those platforms. Finally, learn more about how we're building companies and how we're changing people's lives. And that's protisglobal.com, P-R-O-T-I-S, global.com. We'll talk to you guys soon. Until next time, cheers.
The opinions expressed on this CannabisRadio.com program are those of the guests and hosts and do not necessarily reflect those of the staff and management of CannabisRadio.com. Any rebroadcast, republication, or retransmission of this program without proper consent is prohibited.